We're continuing our series here in, in talking about the, these black letters of, of Christ, talking about the, um, the things that, uh, that Jesus did to influence people. I'd say the majority of your life, probably if you think, well, I don't want to be depressing, but it's probably pretty monotonous, right? Um, and that, that's not always a bad thing. People say, well, it was a boring day. Sometimes that's really good. Uh, some, sometimes it's, it's good not to have adventure. Um, I've had days of adventure which, you know, you look back in life and say, I really would like to not have that adventure that day. I was kind of uh, a little crazy. And you might be disagreeing with that statement, but, but probably identifying with it in, in certain ways. Now, life, it's not saying that life is uneventful. We can have events and still be monotonous. It's just they're kind of the same events over and over. And that's... that's uh, we, we tend to do things uh, similar ways, and we get used to a routine. And that's, again, not always a bad thing. Um, consider this. How many of you have ever had a day where you got to the end of the day, and you're like, what did I do today? <laughs> now, and I, I realize that work, is, is, you know, you get to the end of a work day, it's kind of the same. You tend to do the same things at work or very similar. But I'm talking about a day where you got up and it was your day. It was your day to have from the morning, like, like it was, you had a day off or whatever, and you're like, ah, woke, you woke up early. I'm not an early morning riser, but some of you are. And you, you're like, wow, what a day. And I'm, I'm up and a, the sun's out and I got a whole day. And you get to the end of your day and you're like, I'm not really sure what I did today. Right? You've had those days. I'm not saying they're always bad, but we just kind of get into a routine and, and, and things happen, and at the end of the day, we can't figure out what we did with 16 hours. What did I do with that? It just, it's not that you didn't do anything, it's just that it simply wasn't that memorable. Now, I used to keep a journal. It was advised to someone, you should really keep a journal, a daily journal. And I started looking at it. It's like, I'm just, like, it's just cut and paste. I could write this, it's, just, it's like I'm copying what I did yesterday. It's like, good grief. I was like, so I stopped doing it. I'm like, I just photocopy it and paste it in every day because it's the same thing. I was like, one different thing. So much of it, my life is, is pretty monotonous. It's not bad. It's just, it's the same. Well, I want to talk about diminishing returns and, and why some of life poses these problems. There's two problems. And this is why sometimes, not always, why sometimes things are uh, a little monotonous. First of all, uh, challenges, and we talked about challenges a little bit last week, to, to accomplish and to have some of these great peaks, is, it increases the demands. So to, to go from one level of accomplishment to the next, it, it's like it, it takes more energy to do, right? You're going to get your house. I, okay, so I've had, and I have to by, by, this, by this Friday, I have to clean out my garage. Now, if I worked at, when we're working at K, so it's, my garage is not getting touched today, I can tell you that. But if I were to work on my garage this afternoon, I could probably spend about two hours in there, and it would look a lot different. Wow, that looks nice. But if I were to spend another two hours in there, which probably would still need to be done, I wouldn't get the same 
it wouldn't look that improved from, from the two hours previous. Right? As I go on, to, to get that level of, of clean or whatever the project is that you're doing, it just takes more and more energy. Whatever it is you're doing. That's just that's called diminishing returns. The, the, the greater the accomplishment, the, the less... Uh, the, the second challenge is, is that it's less rewarding. We get the decreased satisfaction. Oh, to, to see that initial stage of whatever you're doing, oh, it's wonderful. Right? You're, you've gotten something, you're doing something, you're getting ready for a big project. And that's, that's, why I have to, uh, that's why I have to clean out my basement because I have a delivery of stuff for my bathroom to get done. And that's getting done because Katie's going up to for right after Easter. She's I'm going to have a house to myself for a week, so that's when I'm, we're we're starting on that project. And I can tell you, I already know how it's going to happen. I'm going to gut it, and I'm going to be excited. And and then uh, you know whatever the, the sheetrock's going to go up, and uh, and I'm going to be excited because big changes are going to happen, you know, in a relatively short period of time. And I and I already know it's going to look like my bathroom, or my basement rather. The trim's not done. <laughs> and, and and it's going to look like my hallway going downstairs where it's still joint compound and it's been there for like four years on the wall. And, uh, and I just know that this is how it's going to go because it's not as exciting. That as things go on, it's, it's not as exciting to see the changes that take place. I get, I get diminishing returns on my excitement level. Well, when it's really exciting, you can just you pour your energy into it. And so we're talking today about one of the things that Jesus showed, the ability to endeavor. That word's in the Bible a lot, endeavor to do this. Endeavor is not just a word that means try. I mean, it does mean try, but, but it's got some more oomph to that word. To endeavor means, it, it, it's, it's like to go out of your way. To, to spend a lot of extra effort doing a thing. And Jesus exemplifies that. We're really going to look at... Uh, at two ways that we do that. So the first one, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 14. A little bit of a longer section, so we're going to read it straight out here. I'm not going to put it up there. <clears throat> Matthew 14. And we're going to begin in verse 14. We're just kind of cutting into a, a longer section. I'm in Mark. That's not going to help me much. All right, Matthew 14, 14 through 21. This is, um, When Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away so they can go into villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, well, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. So they said to him, we, we just have here five loaves and two fish. So he said, well, bring it to me. And he commanded the multitudes to sit down in the grass, and he took the five loaves and two fish, and he looked up into heaven, and he blessed it and broke it, and gave the loaves to the disciples, and the disciples gave it to the multitude, and they all ate, and they were fulfilled. They were, they were filled, and they took up 12 baskets of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men, not including the women and children. So we are talking about a really large group of people. 
Some people estimate up to maybe 25,000. I don't know what percentage of women and children attended. Did they all come with families or was there just some extra women and children? I don't know. Jesus was an attraction. But to get what's going on and to understand how Jesus is going above and beyond, and, and to, like we talked about last week, to turn off the volume, because now this does get into a great... We've talked about the things Jesus did last week you know, that we, we referred to. Really, it wasn't profound statements. Well, this is going to turn into a profound statement. These events turn into John chapter 6 uh, and the, the great Sermon on the Bread of Life. Well, that is profound, but we're not going to get into that. We're not talking about that, that uh, passage. What we're, we're talking about, again, is the things that Jesus did that, that led up. And we said, well, that's easy. I mean, he fed, he fed people from five loaves and two fishes. Of course, that, that lent itself to, to some great thing. But, but I think even before that, there are things that Jesus does in here that really attract people. I, I could be wrong because I wasn't in the situation, but, but we're going to look at some things that, that I can do. I can't turn five loaves and two fish into you know, enough food to feed 25,000 people. I mean, that'd be great. And that would cut down on inflation. But uh, can't do that. So... We're going to look at some things we can do. Well, I want to do that by looking a little bit more at this situation, because all of the writers of our Gospels really refer to this, uh, this event. Jesus goes out of his way, first of all, for people's needs, and I want to look at that, uh, what that means, what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that Jesus went around spending money on everybody that, that called up the church and asking for money. That's not what that means. Um, but he did go out of his way, and so I want to look at the situation here. Let's back up into the situation. If we were to read the, the earlier part of it, we would see this event happening. One of several events happening simultaneously. Herod sent and had John beheaded in prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. The disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. And when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. When the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from towns, and when he went ashore, he saw the great crowd and had compassion on them and healed their sick. And so the first thing is, is he's got a family death to deal with. And this is not just like an extended family death. This is like a, it's not a first cousin. We can know that from, from the genealogies that are given. Uh, but it could be as close as a first cousin once removed. That would be the closest it could be. Maybe a second cousin, something, something to that effect. But, but it's a cousin of some sort. It's a kin's uh, Elizabeth was a kin person of, of, of Jesus' mother, Mary. Don't know if you've ever... Some people... I, I'm fortunate, really... I haven't dealt with close family death yet. I'm sure that's coming. But those who have, understand that in those moments, you don't really feel like doing anything with other people. I mean, not, not just... Not just helping them at all. I don't, I don't really want to be around you. I mean, some people are different. I suppose some people really love to be around other people in those moments, and it's comforting. But for sure, you, you, those are moments where you go, this is time for me right now. And, and we all understand that. And that's natural. And so, so in those moments, we say, okay, we're, we're, we're going out on a limb 
we're going out of our way for this person. Right? Don't we do that? That's natural. And Jesus in this in the middle of this is going out of his way for other people. Uh, but that's only one situation that's happening. Uh, that would be enough. That would be enough for us to go and be amazed at what Jesus is doing in these chapters, but that's not it. Because uh, Mark, Mark chapter 6, verse 30 and 34 says this, The apostles, this is all the same event. They returned to Jesus and told him all they had done or taught. Now we would back up to the, to the beginning of, of this whole thing. Jesus just sent out the apostles in these groups of two and sent them throughout Palestine to, to preach and teach while he did some other stuff. And uh, <clears throat> so they come, and, and we even preached about this not too long ago. And they come back, and they were all excited. They'd tell them about what they'd done and what they taught, and they said, oh. And so Jesus said to them, well, why don't we come by ourselves to a desolate place for a little while? Many were coming and going, and they had no leisure to eat. And when they went away, the boat, to a desolate place by themselves, and when many saw them coming, they recognized them. They went there on foot from all towns and got there ahead of them, and when they went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And they began to teach them many things. And so, so this is again, this is the setup to that to that same event. Uh, and so the second thing uh, that he is dealing with here is impropriety, impropriety of the apostles to not recognize. Now they brought the body to Jesus, so, so we recognize that from the last passage, and they're still a little bit tone deaf. You ever have? You, sometimes we see that in, in family death, and people are tone deaf, and they say things that are really awkward. Like, oh, he looks so much like himself, or some stupid thing. Like, shut up! In this moment, you shut up. <laughs> right? and the apostles don't get that, and so, so Jesus dealing with family death had have people coming here and telling about how exciting their their last couple of weeks has been. Like, don't do that. So, so Jesus now has multiple levels of things happening. You see what was going on with Jesus. Now that's not all. Even in this passage, he, he's looking at people. And so now there's this spiritual need on top. And this, is, this is all weight. This is all massive amounts of weight that Jesus is dealing with. He's, he's got a, a massive a, a weight of, of emotional loss. He's, he's, got, he's got the dumb apostles over here. It's like, I, I should have just sent them out for a couple of more weeks. It would have probably been better. And, and, and then he's got this group of people who obviously have some deep spiritual needs. It's like they're completely aimless. They're like a sheep with no shepherd. And of course, there's the hunger that, that we know where our attention is drawn to. That's where our attention is drawn to, the feeding and all the excitement that's going on in this passage. And that's not really any of the main things. And if it was me, if it was me, how would I respond? Because I would feel a little overwhelmed at this point. I would be quite overwhelmed. What would I be doing? Well, I can tell you I would be prioritizing. That's what I would be doing. I'd be looking at this situation and I'd be saying, well, we've got to eliminate some stuff here. There's only so much I can handle. <clears throat> I'm going to prioritize and rationalize. And I can tell you for sure, other people's physical needs are going to be first off the list. 
the first thing I'm doing. Because I, I can recognize in my mind, everything else here is, is somewhat significant. The apostles need to be put in their place. All right, let, let, let's go, and I'm going to at least... I can gain something by you being with me. I just kind of got to get you in the right frame of mind. So I, I, I need to deal with me, that's for sure. I, <clears throat> I need to cope with my loss. Excuse me. That's not leaving the list. That's first and foremost on my list. I've got to deal with my grief. And, and, and if I have some leftover energy, I might direct it towards this group of people. I might give them like a, a sermonette. Here's a couple of thoughts. And I'm out. I'm on sabbatical. You know, here's a little devo. And, we're, and, and I'll see you, you know, in a couple of months. And Jesus handles it in completely the opposite. Now, now he does try to get away. I understand that. He does, he does think about taking time for himself. But when it comes down to it, the, the going above and beyond, <clears throat> Jesus handles things in the exact opposite order from the way I would do it. Exact opposite. Matthew 14, 13 has been used so often to say something that it doesn't really say when we take it into the larger context. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there to a boat desolate place by himself. When the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot in the towns. And when we stop there, we say, see, Jesus took time for himself. We need to take time for ourselves. That is true. And Jesus did attempt to. So, so I'm not saying it's not spiritual to take time for yourself. What I am saying is that's not what this is about. This verse, this section of scripture is not about taking time for yourself. That's not what it's about. It's not about verse 13. It's about verse 14. That's what this section is about. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And this passage, uh, <clears throat> this is about what Jesus did when he was getting ready to take time for himself. Oop. And we'll get to that picture in just a second. It's about going beyond yourself. It's about saying, I really need this, but... I'm going to go out of my way because there is greater need. And I can, I can muscle through it. I don't know if you've ever had to muscle through something. you ever had to muscle through something, you just do it. And we tend to find the ability to muscle through stuff for ourselves. Like, I just got to do this task, and then I just got to get... You know, Katie had a cold this week, and she just muscled through. And it wasn't, it wasn't like... You're running the milk cold. It was, it was bad. Like, okay, I've got, a, I've got a three-hour job to clean somebody's house. I don't feel like doing it. And she went and did it. And came home and like crashed like three times <laughs> on the couch. We muscle through things. I said I'd get to the, this picture. I spent weekend after weekend as a kid in this house. This is the guy I've talked about, the guy who baptized me, and he's kind of like my, my hero. This is his house. He built this house. It's a cool house, and there's a lot of stories behind this house, but it's five till, and I don't have time for them. I'll tell you one story. In 1980, he was building this house. And uh, that's his wife there with her grandkids. And, uh, and so uh, 
around October-ish, things were behind schedule, and he was trying to get into this house. They were, you know, their lease was up on their apartment or whatever, on the other side of the lake from here. This is out in Spencer, Massachusetts. And, and this, the house wasn't quite ready to, to move in. And, and they had the roof to put on. Oh, I mean, it had, it had plywood, but it didn't have shingles. It's October. October in Massachusetts doesn't look much better than this, I can tell you. And it was, it was cold, 1980. I, I remember those years. Those were cold winters as a kid. Now, the reason <clears throat> that he wanted to get into this house so quick is because his wife was fairly pregnant. And in fact, this was taken about three weeks later. Uh, that's, that, that's the same woman, a little bit younger. And that's their first child, Becky. Now, <clears throat> the reason I tell this story about going out of your way is because there was a guy in the church by the name of Robert Eaton. And Robert Eaton had the flu. And Robert Eaton, with the flu, was on a ladder where you're looking in the days before a lot of people had nailers with, with, with roofing nails and a hammer putting on shingles so that Barry could get into his house so that Becky could be born into this house. That's going above and beyond. That's going out of your way for other people. That's, that, that's what we're talking about, muscling through things. You can do it. We have the ability to do things. And I, I think when we show that ability to, to muscle through stuff, it impacts people so that the things that we say then become significant or more significant. Now, Jesus, when we talk about going out of your way, it, like I said, it doesn't mean that, that every time someone comes with, with a sad story, we go, oh, go out of my way. Here's my checkbook. Because a couple of days later, about four days later, Jesus is going to say no. Nope. Oh, through there. In chapter 16, Matthew. Nope. But where he thinks it's going to have an impact, Jesus muscles through. Oh, he'll take some time for himself. He will. But he knows that he can temporarily get through a difficult situation to impact people. I want to talk about one more. It's not going to take a lot of time here. <clears throat> While he was still speaking, this is Luke chapter 22, and verse 47 through 51. He says, While he was speaking, there came a crowd. A man named Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? When those who were around him saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with a sword? Uh, we're going to learn later that was Peter. One of them, Peter, struck a servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, all right, that's enough. <laughs> Calm down, Peter. And he touched his ear, the servants, and healed him. So... Uh, <clears throat> Jesus goes out of his way for his enemies. Now, just for clarity's sake, I can't say that I know for sure that this servant was an enemy, but he was the, the servant of a high priest. I'm going to assume that his views don't depart too far from the high priest, at, at least at this point, without knowing anything further about Jesus or 
this guy. Peter certainly thought he was an enemy. I don't know why he picked this guy out, singled him out. Maybe he was just the closest guy, or maybe he sized people up and said, I don't know, I, I think I can take... I'm a fisherman. He's obviously not got good aim, right? So maybe he's sizing people up, you know. Like, I, I don't know if I can take that guy, but I can take that guy. I, I don't know. But it seems that this guy, at least to Peter, represents an enemy. So I, I don't know. There's, there's conjecture there. But I want to make some observations, or questions at least. Let's ask some questions. <coughs> Excuse me. Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cut off his right ear. Told you it was Peter. And the servant's name was Malchus. And so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back. Is it, shouldn't I drink the cup that the Father has given to me? So I want to just ask a couple of questions. First of all, how do we know Malchus's name? The book of John, is, is where this is taken, is written around 90 AD. This is like 60 years after the event. That's a, that's a, to me, that's significant. It, may, it raises some questions. None of the other writers give, give this guy's name. John gives this guy's name. I, that's interesting to me. None of the others mention Peter. John is the one that tells us it was Peter. It's interesting. This is just a little... It's like, that's, that's, how do we know... How did John know his name? And second, why is it significant? Why, why, like if I'm telling you a story... Like, I, I, I didn't... I, I, no, I told you a story. Be- I, I named Becky. She's born. She's kind of uh, you know significant to the story. But I didn't tell you... This guy's name and that person's name, who, who built the house. I told Robert's name because he was doing it, and I'm telling a story about Robert. But really, if, if I'm telling you a story, why is it important for you to know Malchus's name? I could just say the servant's name. Everybody else has said a servant. That should be good enough. Unless there's something here. Uh, unless his audience that he's writing to recognizes the name. Oh. I recognize that name. I draw some observations for that. Did Malchus become a Christian? That would, that would be why I might mention that name. It's important to the story. It's not just a detail. That this, this, this man was impacted. Maybe no one else there was impacted other than the apostles. But did, was this man impacted? Now, he might, as a slave, not have, not have had the ability to do much with the, the sharp eye of, of the high priest on him. But, but one of the high, there's two high priests, that one kind of weird situation with father-in-law and son-in-law. One of them is going to die about 10 years to 15 years later, and one of them is going to die in, in Masada. And then he's probably a free guy. Oh, maybe that's why John mentions them and none of the others did who wrote their stories later. I don't know. It's conjecture again. But this guy's name got out there. He was impacted, I believe. If that's the case, if it's true, this is the last guy brought to the gospel in Christ's ministry. And after he dies and raises again, he just spends time confirming the apostles. That's what he does. His, his ministry is over. 
He's like, all right, this is time. You guys are going to start preaching in a couple of days. This would be the last guy to directly be impacted. Did Jesus have other stuff going on at the time? Yeah, he had a few other things happening, I think. He had an impending death. He had disciples that are getting ready to leave him. A trial to go through here any moment. He's got a lot of stuff on his plate. And Jesus goes out of his way for his enemies. The last, this is one of the last chances I'm going to have to talk to somebody and do something. Here's your ear back. Beyond, didn't really have time to share the gospel with them. Just here's your ear back. Hope to see you around in a few days. And this guy has to be thinking, you know, wow. We're kind of here to arrest him. He's like doing this for me. So, I want to finish with this thought. I think at one point in time, we're, we're pretty ministry-oriented, I think. I, I think we try to think about how to share the gospel. And probably at one point in time, all of us have said the following. God, can you give me an opportunity to share the gospel? Well, pray that. I'm not sure what we expect. Maybe something delivered on a silver platter. I had one of those opportunities this week. I do doing my taxes, and a guy come in, named Sam, sat down, and he's uh, we got talking. He's like, "Oh, your son's at Harding. You got good memory. We haven't done my taxes in a year." And uh, and he's like, "Yeah, I dated a girl from Harding. Like, oh, that, that's kind of interesting. She wasn't in the Church of Christ." So he goes, "So I got a question for you." I'm like, sure, shoot. He's like, what's the deal with baptism? Like, <laughs> 45 minutes. Sometimes they get delivered up to you. There you go. We pray for those. Oh, those are so great. Those are so wonderful. It is pretty rare. They are pretty rare. At least in my experience, they're rare. But Jesus endeavored to be public in his faith. He didn't just wait for the situations to come to him. Malchus wasn't running up to him. Say, I've got a question for you. He just took opportunities. He made opportunities or took them. Which meant he had to be on the lookout for an opportunity. Hey, here's the situation. I can use this, I can do something. I don't have really time to preach the guy a sermon, but, but I do have time to do something, and maybe someone has the chance later on to, to knock it out of the park, you know? Which they, it seems, did. Need to endeavor to be visible in our faith. My challenge is, is not that you pray for God to give you opportunities. Pray to see the opportunities. Pray to see them, because they're there. Pray for God to give you the strength to kind of open the doors and not just give you open doors. God, give me the strength to open this one. 
So I'm going to have to jam the crowbar in this one. Make them. Endeavor. Effort. That, that, that next level of effort, sometimes it's like, I don't see the, the returns coming on this one. This is diminishing returns. Endeavor. Endeavor. And go out of your way uh, to, to share the gospel. Because effort will, will bring, not just the things you say, but the endeavor in the, the actions and the service and, and going out of your way is going to bring value to the words uh, that, you, that you share with other people.